people of Earth of tension. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. The first satellite creature to impregnate man with its chromosomes. We can now proceed with the next part of our plan. I am not mad. No, no. Join your hosts Keith and Christian on a journey to discover lost treasures of cinema. Cheesy special effects, cringe-worthy dialogue, and over-the-top plots. It's an adventure through the depths of so bad they're good movies. Now strap in and get ready to schlock and roll. And we're back with a special guest. Lane Wilson, a Pennsylvania-based artist that Christian and I have known for quite a while, going back to our old film school days. Lane will be uh, one of the get, one of the, I'm going to start that all over. I, I do edit. No tripping, no <laughs> I do edit. My words. <laughs> and we're back with a special guest, Lane Wilson, a Pennsylvania-based artist. Christian and I have known for a long time, going back to our film school days. Lane will be one of the judges at the Erie Horror Film Festival this year. We brought Lane on to talk a little bit more in depth about Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Because as we pointed out a little earlier in the episode, we wanted to have a you know, a different perspective than what Christian and I were capable of bringing to the conversation, given the context of the film and where it sat in the culture. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, and and Thanks honestly for having you guys. Honestly, there was a there was a twofold situation here. We wanted to find somebody who not only knew how to talk about movies and loved movies, but somebody who might actually appreciate watching this movie. And there's not a lot of people we okay. know that would be w- willing to sit through a 1960s B movie black and white, all that kind of stuff. I, I've sat through worse. Once you've watched Neil Breen for a podcast, like there's no coming back from that, number one. There's just no room left in your soul for anything that's good or fine. Um, but <laughs> but that's like well, the that's standard for terrible the movies. couple of years in, in a nutshell. So, right. So, uh, so any any B movies that aren't a Neil Breen movie, I'm I'm happy gal. So that's that's more than fine. I guess let's, I mean, let's just jump right into it. Um, we, we had a pretty in-depth conversation about the movie. I think we were a little bit surprised because this was our first episode. We picked this movie kind of randomly and didn't realize how in-depth it was going to be or how in-depth our conversation is going to be. I think we both assumed that we were going to watch a lot of movies about astronauts careening through space trying to get back to Earth. <laughs> we'll get there. And, we'll get there. And this this movie was pretty intense. So I, I guess... My first question is, have you seen this movie before? And are you familiar mm-hmm. with Russ Meyer? I Yes. So this was kind of an offshoot for him. From my understanding, most of his movies were pretty successful, except for this one. And um, so we're talking 1965. You know, we got the the black and white rocking for us, which I will I will just get this out here because I used to feel stupid for a really long time about not loving black and white. Because I'm so color oriented and that used to make me feel like a worse filmmaker, like a worse artist or consumer of media because I was like, oh, like this should be my thing. It shouldn't matter. And for me, I'm just always thinking about what color the costuming is, the sets that I'm very color oriented. So for me, a black and white film isn't always something that I can connect with right away. And so for this film, my understanding is that um, Russ Meyer, he'd had a lot of hits 
and this wasn't one of them. And that was like surprising because this did not make any money at all. So, um, well, I mean, in the budget, I, and I, I didn't look at it in, for inflation, but the budget was around like the 30 mark, I think the 30,000 mm -hmm. mark. And then it only returned, uh, you know, a very little amount. But something I think is really interesting is that John Waters says that this is a perfect film. I don't know if you guys saw that in your research, but we, we actually had is... him on the show. You had John Waters? Yeah, we found oh, a yeah. clip of, well, virtually oh. through a secret. I thought you interviewed, I thought you interviewed, I was like, are you shitting me? I would have nerded out if he was actually on the show. Oh yeah, he's my uncle. I mean, I did get to meet him. Oh, and he did a talk in Pittsburgh and he, you know, he, he signed everybody's autograph, but he said, this is a perfect movie and there will never be a more perfect movie than faster pussycat kill kill, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. It does seem like it would be right up his alley. It does. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I feel like it does. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'd seen this years ago. And then when you guys asked me to do the show, I did watch it again. So I guess, what do you think of the movie? Is it, is it one you enjoyed revisiting? So it's fun and funny because I feel like too, just over the last few years, you know, my, my thoughts on feminism have changed. I, I don't know if I've become more radical so much as I've just like hated capitalism more and sure. wanted to burn everything to the ground. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's just how I coped with COVID, I guess. Um, Ar arson? Mostly just burning institutions, like not actual burning. Oh. Sorry, Keith. but um, I do like fire. I think for this, it's interesting that I think what, what I have the trouble with is that I'm a woman of this era and our times right now. I think that this probably was more feminist if you were alive at this time. And I see aspects that are very groundbreaking and different, right? Because we have these three women that, ha I mean, they're go-go dancers. They're a very liberated profession. And then they go basically on this like killing spree in the desert during a time when I don't think women were allowed to wear pants to school. Like I remember my mom telling me stories about that where she wasn't allowed to wear anything but a skirt. Yeah, she said it wasn't until like the late 60s that things mm -hmm. started to change. And yeah, and my mom said she wasn't allowed to wear pants like to, to high school, which well, was, that just seems like a lifetime ago, like a eon ago. That seems was, so strange. There was even that that part in the movie where the old man said put him in pants and mm -hmm. chuckle like put him in pants oh, and they'll do whatever a, they want he was a piece of shit oh, i yeah. loved I, I loved just wanting to hate him all the time mm -hmm. but one of the things that i first noticed and i think this is really interesting when you think about like cinematography like obviously the cinematographer for this was um uh obviously a man and i think that it's hard to see this to me as a feminist piece when it's just very strongly through the male gaze oh it's very cheesecake and it's very it's very interesting to me that i don't know um you can see it in the camera work you can see it in the costume design i think that um you know because we're always like focused on their chests they all have very large chests for their frame and, you know, they're in crop tops, things are extremely low cut. And, and for me, one of the things I think that's an important tenement of remembering, like how women walk through the world is that women feel empowered in all different ways. And there's no way to, there's no one way we should judge that, you know, some women feel confident in less clothing, some people feel confident in more, and it's, it's not okay to judge either way. But I've had this feeling that these actors didn't choose th this wardrobe, I didn't think that they chose you know, these pieces. And, and like I said, for the cinematography, oftentimes 
it's like looking up at boobies and that feels very much entrenched in the male gaze which is also typical and, of russ meyer mm-hmm, right well it's it's that you know that b movie exploitation kind of thing because we see that commonly in these movies because they're all about you know like blood and boobs like that's what a lot of these movies are so i think what's interesting is you can see these um differences now because we have other examples of seeing like women team movies I, I couldn't stop thinking about birds of prey when i was watching this for the second time i couldn't stop thinking about with um how kathy yan and and that was something that struck me right away like you could tell it was a woman director because it was not for the male gaze and you could see the stark difference in the harley quinns even though it was both margot robbie you know i between I, suicide squad and that mm-hmm. yeah. i worked i worked in fashion for a while i worked for a company called mod cloth and i've always loved clothes so i've always always been drawn to the wardrobe aspect of film and you could just see in the two different movies how it was so clear margot robbie picked her wardrobe in birds of prey it was fun it was vibrant and you can literally i mean there's all kinds of even youtube videos if you look it up you can see the difference in the male gaze cinematographer and suicide squad and director male director and you can see how kathy yan put a different spin on that and how it's not for the male gaze in Birds of Prey. And like I said, I could not stop thinking about the cinematography and the male gaze. And and truly, I don't think this movie can be truly feminist because it pits woman against woman so strongly. And I truly believe in feminist ideals of number one of intersectionality. And that's not that's not something necessarily that comes easily to every feminist. And I was impressed with the internationality in a movie mm. from the 60s for this film, you know, because we have um, you know, the characters that are um, of different backgrounds. And I am forgetting the main character um Tura her... Sultana. yes that's it okay i knew she had a, she had a um a name was i wasn't japanese american right and to have a japanese american basically as the lead i thought that she that was, was also, fascinating she was also in an internment camp in her younger days mm. wow that's so powerful mm-hmm. um but yeah i noticed that that was part of it and then um and then the other woman uh, she had such a strong accent and I was surprised at that in a movie from the sixties as well. I mean, obviously we got Billy who's the blonde, but I couldn't stop thinking about how it also just pitted these gals against each other. Like they didn't feel like a team. Mm-hmm. So that necessarily didn't feel at least not the values that I uphold. I feel like women should build each other up instead of fighting amongst themselves. And like, you literally have did Billy, did Varla attack Billy at first? I mean, she, I think Varla, I think she came after everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think that um, you know, having women fight women, that's that's common, but that didn't feel mm. as progressive. And like I said, as a woman of this era, I think it was difficult for me to see what is clearly feminist about it at the time because we're just so far removed. I mean Do you think that these were things that had even been considered at the time? For- oh, absolutely not. I I think that they just went out to make a, a schlocky movie. And I think that they, how can I say this and not sound like a total dick? Um, I don't think, I don't think that in this case, it's like the women were even seen as women or what that means. I think they were just seen as actors well, and yeah. possibly just as objects as, as women were so commonly objectified in those days. Truly. I, mean, I actually, in a way, up- just as much as they were objectifying the cars to even. Well, right. and, oh, I, and, and then, point. yeah. Well, and think about that too. Like these were women who had all male interests. They liked car racing. They liked violence. They liked guns. You know, they liked money. Like these are all things that I, I feel like. And again, I couldn't stop thinking about Sigourney Weaver and Alien 
because that was originally written for a man and it's feminist because she did it and she just played it like a man. But I feel like these characters are just shoved into these roles of like, oh, they're women, but they like boy things. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that you can quite get away with that. You certainly couldn't get away with it now, I don't think. Yeah. But I don't think that there was any writing with the idea that they were three female leads in mind. Um, and then also, I did hope that they would have snuffed out the little girl like real soon because she was really annoying. She <laughs> yeah. cried a lot. Yeah. Like a lot. And, when and again, she's in a bikini the whole time. Again, like I couldn't stop thinking about the wardrobe and like how the the That's camera. That's how I dress on the daily. Really, in the desert, yeah. Keith, yeah. you better be yeah. getting your SPF with, in. I don't want you to get with the frills and everything. I pulled up. A, I found a quote from Russ Meyer himself, and it said, mm -hmm. "I had men kicking the shit out of women, so I thought, why don't we do one where the women kick the shit out of men?" So I don't. I mean, I think that's a, I don't think that making this feminist statement was his intention. I think it was just mm -hmm. seeing women kick men's ass. And I think, yeah, we're seeing, that's what exactly what we're seeing. That's exactly what he achieved. But that itself becomes sexual in its own way as well. It becomes titillating. It's not something that it is intellectual or making a statement. It's just another way. They wanted the violence. Right. It's just yeah. another way of some men might get off on that. Right. And and I think that it was more about subverting expectations or going against expectations mm -hmm. um, in that sense. Um, kind of like how, you know, Joss Whedon said when he came up with the idea for Buffy of like the blonde actually being the one to kill the monsters instead of being the first one killed. And we all know Joss Whedon is complete trash now um, sure. and not a feminist, not an ally and actually just a big piece of garbage. You know that you've achieved nothing in life when you're not allowed to be alone with the 15 year old on set. Like that's that's when I realized like there was just no redeeming that dude. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but again, like when he talks about that, you know, of subverting that expectation of like, we always see the, the blonde, she's the first to die and wanting to change that. I think that maybe wanting to change that narrative of men kicking the shit out of women to being the opposite. Like you said, Christian, I don't think it's necessarily like a, it wasn't a feminist consideration, but more just kind of like playing against the stereotypes that were common in the genre. Now, one of my favorite parts of the movie that we, we did touch on is the, again, the subverting of expectation and the character, the, the character that she kills in the desert, the, whatever his name was, I forget now. Mm, the boyfriend. The right. We both, we both were expect, we both said we were expecting him to come and save, save the day in the end, but he lasted literally a minute and a half. Like he was this stereotypical macho male from the 1960s and he was dead within two minutes of him being on screen. And I think that, and that's pretty that great because he is, he was boring as hell. Yes. And that, and, and that's pretty cool that they did subvert that expectation. But I also thought it was interesting that, you know, the opening voiceover explaining the women, it's a male voice, you mm -hmm. know, what would that have felt like if it was a female voice in the beginning? I think that would have been so powerful if it had been Varla, you know, in the beginning talking about it and whatnot, but it was talking about like the dangers of go-go women. And I don't know about you guys, but I was so distracted by the fact that those go-go scenes were about the same, like. 10 shots just like repeated over and over yes. again. Mm, yeah. It was, it was, that scene was, I mean, those shots in, in that scene in general was very uncomfortable because they seemed animalistic. The men seemed very animalistic. They didn't seem mm -hmm. very, they didn't seem very comfortable up there. I, I made the comment that it almost seemed like they were putting on a show. I mean, they were literally putting on a show. This was not who these women were. And it wasn't until they walked off the stage and went into the desert that they, we saw who they really were. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that Christian. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's, and I, 
and I think you have to do what you have to do, you know, like I think to support and, and I'm a big proponent of sex work and, and making sure that that's fair and, and that, um, you know, that women are protected in those jobs. I think that those jobs are still valid. I, and it's interesting that even all these years later, those jobs are still very unprotected mm-hmm. and un and stigmatized. Right. And, and unaided. I mean, even, even too, like you hear the jokes now of like making like only fans and stuff and how that's like even still judged. And that's hardly even close to what the kind of sex work can be, but that's also very stigmatized, but you know, you joke about the student loans. And if I told you I hadn't thought about it, I mean, I'd be lying because mama has student loans, but you know, um, but I think that work is so stigmatized still, but I, th- I think for the time I was also struck by like the costumes that being like very scandalous, very risque for the sixties. Cause like I said, I just couldn't stop thinking about my mom not being allowed to wear pants to school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, these girls are in like, you know, very skimpy outfits. I was, I was really trying to put myself in that setting because I think that the passage of time here is so important to remember what that film would have meant at the time. And I think that that's where like, I wanted to love this. I've always wanted to love this movie. Um, cause speaking of Buffy, there is a reference to it in Buffy actually um the title's referenced in an episode but I've always wanted to love this movie and I just haven't been able to quite get there like I can appreciate it and especially knowing how much John Waters loves it for some reason that makes me like want to love it even more Mm -hmm. but I think with the lens of what we have now it's hard for me to get there because I think this was more about a director wanting to go against type and kind of gambling on that rather than wanting to. It was to... almost like he wanted more of a shock value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's true. I don't think he wanted to tell like a feminist story. He just wanted to surprise people, which is a shame. Um, but I thought that the, the character with the old man um, in the wheelchair, um, who just, he was brilliant. I thought the actor, yeah, I thought he was, in, he was I thought he the was best a, just, actor in the movie. Well, he just was such a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> forgive me. It was just well, so I also rude. Said, I feel like he was he was a perfect example of the 1960s misogyny that was so present. Exactly. I mean, he was not, and he, he was, was like that insular character. And he was like that voice. I think that the audience might have needed at the time. We're like, don't worry, guys. Like, we know that these women are wrong. It's okay. You know, like uh, kind of like trying to like touch base with the audience and be like, you know, especially I I couldn't forget the line she's more stallion than mayor again like objectifying like you know because you own a horse like how gross is that like i didn't i i don't know some of the lines i thought in this and i think that's one of the things that i read that that john waters really loved was the like the dialogue in this the dialogue was i mean some of it was just to like kill for it was really good yeah Mm -hmm. i played a lot of clips from the movie that were pretty memorable i mean a velvet glove cast in iron Cast mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's some good one-liners in there, and the only other Russ yeah. Rider movie I had seen was Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and I barely remember it, so it was hard to oh, compare yeah. it to anything else. But I just remember that movie being so grotesque in, it, in its extremism and its extreme sexuality, I guess, in a way. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm really and this was brutal. Like yes. this was brutal. Like I feel like they took the character of Varla and made her very cold. Whereas like, mm. you know, women are expected to be nurturing and expected to make mm. other people feel good and like all that. And we didn't get that here. My um, arm, we got my, like a very. My armchair psychology perspective on it was that there's, there was, there must've been something in Barla's past that caused her to just be so hateful, particularly to men. And whereas you have um, Billy, who I just felt like was completely sociopathic and just wanted to cause chaos no matter where she went. It didn't seem like there was anything that put her there. It's just that that's who she was and oh i 
I agree. Like Billy a here for a good time, time, not a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I can't mm-hmm. remember. Time, I'm forgetting the uh, the other girl's name. Uh, the other woman's name. Um, Rosie, I think. R- Rosie, and she was just her purpose was just to do whatever Varla told her to do because she was so in love with Varla. And but you also at the same time get the sense Varla would leave mm-hmm. her to die in a ditch in an instant if it was convenient. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and again, very against type for women. You know, we're caregivers. You know, we. Um, we take care, you know, of, um, of everyone around us and like to just leave someone for dead. Like, again, just really going against character, going against type. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it would be interesting to see this movie remade, but remade by a female director. You taking mm-hmm. the idea of it being a feminist film and actually making it a feminist film. We talked about how this was on Quentin Tarantino's list of movies to remake. It's his favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, Thinking about that today, I thought, what a what a terrible movie that would have been. It just would have been his male gaze looking at the at oh. those characters. It would have been pretty sick. And- He's absolutely exploitative. Well, what happened to, I know Norman Reedus's company was going to do a TV series. Of this? Of this. Oh, I didn't hear that. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's I what I had heard, heard yeah. Well, that could yeah, be, I mean. I mean, a TV I, series could be interesting. The last It would expand the their characters much more. Right, it could follow them for longer. Um, but yeah, I um, I thought that um, it was going to be um, like I thought Redis was going to be like a producer on it because I think he has his own production company. I think AMC was going to be involved in it somehow. Mm. I haven't heard anything in a while though. I think that was like announced in twenty one. Mm. Oh wow! Mm. So it's been a while. Yeah. But They're I didn't. He's know. probably focusing on wrapping up the show and then worried about other projects after that. Maybe I would imagine. Maybe. Yeah. I, um, I think that you're right. I think that Tarantino would have been a total mistake, Christian. Mm-hmm. Even we, we played a clip from Rob Zombie. I mean, he's clearly a fan of this movie and I could see him. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's the same thing. It's just, he's looking at it from his perspective as a man, as opposed to see, mm-hmm. seeing it from a feminist perspective. And there's nothing inherently wrong with like seeing things a certain way. But I think when you objectify a female when you objectify their place and their purpose in the world i think that's when we have a problem and like i said that's why i kept like thinking in my mind coming back to birds of prey where suicide i hated suicide squad hated it i thought it was oh just the first one i didn't even see the second one i didn't want to was it i think it was an improvement i think keith would agree and that's but that's what i liked about birds of prey that's the exact word i would use it was fun and like it felt like margaret robbie had a much better time doing it and it, she I produced it too didn't she mm-hmm. i think so and she was just i don't know like i said the the, the choice for kathy Yan i thought was a great one i thought she was a great director for this and it just focused on stuff that i related to more you know um when i used to do the other podcast before i talked a lot about how many movies growing up i didn't really love them as much as the other guys did because they weren't for me i here's here's a hot take on you guys's podcast i don't love indiana jones hmm. I want Mm -hmm. to. I love Tomb Raider, even though the movies are all terrible. The games are amazing. Mm -hmm. But I love that exploratory kind of slant. But those movies aren't for me. Every woman in those movies is a total drip. Mm -hmm. And you can tell two men going through separate divorces absolutely worked on those movies, which Lucas and uh, Spielberg were both getting divorced. Like I said, I just couldn't stop thinking about how it was females with male interests being filmed by an obviously male photographer, like for this movie. And, and like I said, I think um, as far as a B movie goes, 
I think the plot is there for sure. I mean, like trying to rob this old man of his money. And then when it's at the wheelchair at the end, like that's amazing. Like that is really good stuff right there. Like that is, I'm, that I think redeems the movie like a, a, a fair bit. But you know, like you think about the conventions of maleness versus femaleness, like the women are very sexually aggressive in this movie. Like they're very forward. Um, the double entendre with Billy and um, the son. Oh my, I mean, that's some A plus entendre right there. <laughs> It's like subtext is rapidly becoming text mm-hmm. in yeah. those scenes. But um but yeah, I mean I I had seen it as as a we didn't do it we didn't see it for bad movie night at school, did we? It's possible. No. Um, I, I, don't, I don't remember I don't actually, being, I didn't go to those as much because I didn't want to sit in that classroom for two hours. It just was too oh my God. so yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had you guys you guys are amateurs you guys had to get a seat by the wall because mm-hmm. it was carpeted on that wall and you could just do this while Jacko right. was talking about but yeah history. but absolutely fell asleep. Get I fell asleep every time. on your face you listen if I you was, were going to commit to the sleep it's fine i always kind of laugh about the fact that i fell asleep so many times in art history classes and then I ended up taking it as a second major and now have a degree i in know it. yeah i was just like it's that room yeah but it's see, definitely if you the, put the hoodie on that's, with the that's hoodie, the, then you didn't get the mark. So. I see. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the room that you saw your favorite movie of all time, Kristen. Solaris. Solaris. Oh, yeah, talk, about a, <laughs> talk about a snooze. Amazing. And that was the original Solaris, so I feel like it was even more of a snooze. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. One of these days, I'm going to have you watch um, another one of his uh, Tarkovsky's movies. Uh, stalker because i kind of want to hear your thoughts on it hmm. but before we get too far astray is there any other thoughts you you either of you have those are really i mean those I were think the we kind of those were the notes i feel like those were those were definitely my notes as far as the movie goes like i said i feel like i want to love it mm-hmm. but i appreciate it and mm-hmm. like i said i think that for me keeping in mind like the differences in the time I mean, this movie would have been such a big deal at the time. And Mm. it's hard for me to fully appreciate that being a modern human of the, that of the 2020s. The 20s have just been garbage so far, haven't they? (laughs) Everything's on fire. And it's only going to get worse next year with an election. We should just eat Florida now, I think. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming on to talk to us. We I don't think we would either one of us would ever hesitate to have you on again. This was fun. Oh, I'd be so down. Mm-hmm. I um I've really missed this actually. I've really missed talking about Well, that's why we're doing and, it. I mean, we we had our podcast um, way back when that we did together and yeah, now we can But now you're back and better than ever. Mhm. That's right. Well, well yeah, we're I mean, back at least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fair enough. Time will tell. But yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to talk movies anytime, guys. Yeah, well good. Well, thanks again. Thanks Keith. Thanks for All giving right. your time today. So, we'll wrap it there. All right. listening to the schlock and roll podcast part of the comic book noise network